0: pleased with me but now things are different most things have been put to bed but still Kevin some uh, some interesting stories across the country always good to have you Kevin I like this one I was going to start you with this one twin okay. four-star linebackers Andrew and Michael Harris were both headed to UCF right and, and that was going to be great those were huge signees for the Golden Knights and as of today the twins split up one of them is going to honor his commitment to UCF, and then one of them announced, Michael announced that he's going to Maryland. Andrew Harris going going to stay with his commitment to UCF, and his twin brother, Michael, says, no, I'm going to Maryland. So he had a pair of twins <laughs> <laughs> decide to split up. Um, always, uh, Kevin, there's always some last-minute Interesting things that happen, and I thought since UCF's now in the Big 12, I would share that one with you. Now, Kevin, have you started to take a peek at now that it's finally kind of all put to bed, the rivals' rankings? Um, I'm sure these things, um, uh, and everybody has their own ranking system, all these different services. Um, have Have you taken a, a look at the latest updated numbers on the rivals' site? Yeah, I think
1: is that, um, oh, hang on a second. There's something I had an alert that popped on my phone here. Okay. Um, but, uh, the last I saw, you know, they had one more uh, from the 2023 class that popped in, uh, this afternoon. And that was Corey Kelly, the linebacker for league city clear falls, which is a nice get for them. Obviously, you know, they just kind of had to wait for that to get done. He had said that he wanted to you know, sign with his teammates, uh, who had, who were signing today. Uh, he's the four-star uh, recruit that they really like. Hey, he's a guy that could actually put his hand on the ground and be an edge rusher if you want to do that because he's six-four, two-ten. 210. So the fact that uh, this was never in doubt, by the way, it, it was just kind of a procedural thing. And for all we know, Baylor probably had his letter of intent in December, but they just wanted to kind of keep it on the down low until he went through this ceremony this afternoon with his teammates. But having said that, you know, their class ranking, <laughs> of course, the Austin Novosad uh, thing hurt. And so they're at a ranking right around 30. And, of course, that's a little disappointing because the fact that they got as high as 16 during the summer. And they had a couple of defections, had being one, Christian Brathwaite being the other. Uh, you know, Torian York, the linebacker from Temple who flipped to A&M, that, that was a third one there. And, but still, a pretty good class. And when you're in the top 30 in the, in the team rankings, there's nothing to be ashamed about that. It's a good class. Then you factor in the fact that they've got the eight portal transfers in there who are already on campus, and the fact that Matt, that basically half that 2023 class is already on campus, along with the transfers from the portal. you got they've got a lot of guys on campus that are learning everything, and that's always a big advantage because spring football is right around the corner.
0: All right, uh, talking about the Baylor Bears, of course, and uh, what that uh, what the class, how it's kind of shaping up. And we, what we've got to add to the class now is, and of course it won't technically be the 2023 class, but with Sawyer Robertson coming in from Mississippi State, and then I noticed I think they had some preferred to walk on type quarterbacks mm-hmm. come in. Now the Ramirez, uh, R.J. Ramirez comes in. Of course, he that was from uh, northern Colorado. There was another quarterback that signed uh, just the other day. Uh, talk to us a little bit, Kevin, about what, maybe the Bears are trying to do with that quarterback room. To me, it seems like they're just trying to get some more people in there. Obviously, it was basically down to shaping, and that was it as far as scholarship Mm -hmm. quarterbacks. And they're slowly but surely trying to build that number back up and create a little depth at the most important position on the team. And, you know, Mm -hmm. for a while, Blake was pretty lonely in there. He and Sean were kind of looking <laughs> around, and they didn't have anybody to talk to. Um, what, what, Who have they kind of brought in, and, and what are you starting to kind of think about that room as it expands a little bit?
1: Well, I mean, the other walk-on is the kid from Montgomery Lake uh, Creek by the name of Kate Tessier, about, you know, a good size kid, six four two ten. 210, but, uh, you know, the fact that your two scholarship quarterbacks are going to be, um, obviously, Robertson and, and Blake, and I think the way to look at this room is is that Baylor has experience with this setup the way it was from last year when you had, of course, after you know Gary Bohannon left after spring ball last year, they were down to two. Uh, so it isn't like, you know, with Kyron Jones and, of course, Blake doing that in 2022, it's not maybe the ideal way to go do it. You'd probably like to have a third. But again, I think this is still kind of the ramifications of the Novosad uh, flip to Oregon, where I think, you know, if you're going to get the quarterback that you want, don't just take one on scholarship to take one. Make sure that you make a shrewd decision on this. And, you know, and again, this, this quarterback market that Baylor went into through the portal was pretty much the way I thought it was going to be. It wasn't going to be an experienced guy. It was going to be a guy. I mean, it was a guy I thought that they – you know, whatever the market was when it originally started, that if they really wanted to try and put Blake, they were going to have to get one of those name guys out there, which they were going to have a hard time doing anyway. But with a guy like Robertson, he can come in, play, probably learn, and and then if Blake were to struggle, whether that's spring ball or in the uh, never-ending home <laughs> schedule for 2023, you know, I don't—they don't even leave Waco in May in September, do they? Um, but but having said that, they're going to deal with. Him trying to just learn the system, get better at it, and then you know maybe use you know, Ramirez is kind of like what Luke Anthony was last year. It's like your experienced backup who can come in and pinch if you need it. Now, I don't know if this is the way that what Dave Aranda and Sean Bell and Jeff Grimes, if this is the way that they want to do this moving forward, keep two scholarship guys on your roster and then fill out the rest with walk-ons or preferred walk-ons, whatever you want to call them. But it is, a, but it does kind of put your room in a real difficult spot, especially if you get into an injury bug. And so yeah. that's one thing to kind of think about. Uh, now, the, the caveat to this, though, Matt, is what do they do? Do they feel like if, you know, when the next portal period opens up between May 1st and May 15th, would they want to look there? And there's the possibility they could do that.
0: All right, all right. Uh, interesting, by the way, Hoss Haney, I, I'm sure you saw that news. The quarterback at Alito who I was very Mm -hmm. high on. I've been talking to you about him for a while. I know he got off to a shaky start this season, but they ended up winning the state title, and he obviously ended up being a huge part of that. Committed to Duke, and I found that interesting. Um, He went to Duke, loved it there, and uh, they love him, and they made him a huge priority, and what a great school. I mean, you know, that's just an incredible education, and so good for Haas. His parents both went to TCU. Wasn't that interesting? And you see, this happen sometime. TCU turns around and offers him um, oh, right after that. he commits to Duke. And so I bet, I bet some other people will try that, just because he's uh, what what he lacks for height, he makes up for in speed, and he and he actually has a really good arm. He's got a live arm, as you saw, and he just got better and better as that season unfolded. So I thought we could yeah, celebrate, and, and- um,
1: yeah, Haney a little bit. Sure. I think the one thing with Haas is the fact that it covers. he worked with a really good offensive coordinator, Robbie Jones at Alito, who's obviously now taking over for Tim Buchanan as the head coach there. And Robbie is probably one of the best offensive minds I've ever been around in my, you know, whatever, what is it, 35, 38 years of being around this uh, sport, covering it all the way back to when I was a junior in high school to where I am now. And uh, I, he, he just has a way of getting guys to, and if you ever wanted to know what a good offensive coach is just track the way Haas played from the season opener uh, against Parish Episcopal in Dallas at that final weekend in August to winning, not only winning the state championship, but also becoming, but it was also named the offensive MVP. And I think maybe with Haas and Duke is a case where, you know, yeah, you mentioned his height, and I think Duke was didn't have an issue with that, whereas maybe other P5 programs just for the sake of discussion, like a Tennessee or Alabama or UCLA or Texas or whatever, those types of programs didn't want that. They probably wanted him to play a different position, wide receiver, probably. And he said, "No, I want to play quarterback." And Duke said, mm-hmm. "We can do that." And he said, "I'm in." And it, but you also know this too, Matt, about the theory of recruiting. It doesn't start until you make the commitment, and then it's a matter of how much can Duke can hold on, because there's a long time between now in that early signing period in December, 11 months.
0: All right. I, I thought you would appreciate this. Kevin Longquist on from arrivals.com, been a longtime uh, sports writer. For the first time in program history, LSU won't sign a football player on National Signing Day in February. Uh, and, I um, mean, again, Rear. this is a sign of the times, but that is interesting. The first time ever. And... Um, The uh, I'm just I'm kind of liking at least trying to see and also wanted to see uh, the name, which will not be mentioned anymore while you're on here. Okay, the Oregon, the Oregon quarterback.
1: But (laughs) I think I already said his name, but that's okay. I
0: know. I know. I'd like you to avoid it in the future. But um, uh, (laughs) I, I, I found this interesting the other day. It said Oregon is best is in best position to close strong on National Signing Day. So that would be interesting. I'll have to take a peek and see what they've done today. But uh, interesting what you said, the Bears at number 30. Um, in in mm-hmm. a lot of these, I've seen 33. I've seen some different places. And quite honestly, let's not act like when when they won the conference title and won a conference record, you know, a, a, a team record, school record, 12 wins, it's not like that class had been ranked like top 15 or something. So it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily um, – it, it, it is interesting in the NFL – The the four and five stars seem to function better on defense. I don't know if you saw that study recently where it's it's harder to predict on offensive uh, stars and offensive players in the NFL that aren't always that highly rated, honestly. When you do the study and see like two-star, three-star, four-star, the offensive players in the NFL are honestly skewing a little lower in the two- and three-star range, whereas NFL players on the defensive side of the ball average out at four-and-a-half stars. I just saw a study on that recently, and I found that very interesting.
1: I saw that, yeah. and um, I, I think my theory on that, Matt, is when you think about it, w- with offensive players and the transient nature of the coaching industry, especially at the NFL level, where so many coaches are coming and going with – and personnel changes and schemes and that sort of thing where guys are having to learn systems year after year after year or they're moving from team to team to team and maybe they don't crack the lineup or whatever the case may be. That might be the reason why those offensive guys in the NFL who might have been rated as high as they did coming out of high school and and into college don't project or don't reach that level that we all thought they were going to when they were coming out of college, You know that sort of thing. You know, for me, the exception would be, even though he was highly rated, though, was Jalen Hurts, is the fact that, you know, you look at a guy like Hurts, and I always was one of his critics about, can he really throw it? Can he really be a guy who, who can show you that he can deliver the football when it matters? Because his legs, you know, spoke for themselves, and he darn sure did this year. I mean, I have to eat a lot of crow on this with him, but... Going back to the original point, where guys who are very athletic on the offensive side of the ball, because of the fact that they're changing so many teams, or just coaches are changing wherever they're at, I think that impedes their growth.
0: That's interesting. I, I like that. I like that. That is a uh, that's a really good theory. That's some good thought process. Good, yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm sitting here kind of reacting and thinking uh, about it on the fly. I kind of like that. I like Kevin. I like it when you put some deep thought into one of your answers. Not that you don't always do that. Kevin Longquist from (laughs) Rivals joining us on the Matt Mosley Show ESPN Central Texas. Bears uh, lose in Austin the other night. They'd won quite a few games in a row to get back in the conference race. This conference champion, you saw K-State get beat by Kansas last night conference champion may lose five or six games it's not going to be like in the past where it was like you'd have two or three losses it's probably going to be five or six losses or something like that this Baylor team is interesting I mean you got to hand it to them for making it a game when they were trailing most of the time even trailing almost by like double digits late and they fought back and had it to a one-point game I I just think the tough part is they're not going to get much scoring it doesn't look like from the front court uh, Bridges, no. Bridges is giving them something, right? Langston mm-hmm. off the bench when he's healthy, he might be able to give them a little something. There's just not the even compared to last year when Jonathan was still playing, then obviously was so hand emerged as a starter. There's depth, but it's not the depth that they've had in the past where some of that depth, like when Flagler was on the bench could come in and maybe knock in, t- you know, 10 to 15 points. They're, they don't have right. that. So, in a sense, they need those three guards to almost account for 40 to, 40 to 50 points every yeah. night, well, every that, time they go yeah. out.
1: Well, that's what they got, basically, uh, Monday night in Austin between uh, Keontae George, L.J. Cryer, and Adam Flagler. I think yeah. they had 49 or 50 of the 71 that they had or something like that, but Correct. they obviously shot... Yeah. They took a ton of shots, though, just to get there on that night. But, you know, I kind of think, to your point, I think that Langston, who wasn't available that night uh, on Monday, but I, I'm hoping that he'll be back for Saturday against Tech. But, you know, Langston Lowe, who would basically take that spot that you know, Adam, that Flagler had a couple of years ago on the championship team, could give you something like that off the bench. But, to, but, you know, and the one thing is is that there's two other points. The development of Jalen Bridges, who I think, you know, I had my criticisms of, of Bridges in December and November, because the fact that when it came to playing, you know, legitimate teams, if you will, he was kind of a no-show. But he's really stepped it up in conference play, which is what they really need from that kind of like that three slash four type of player. Yeah, you know, the front court is what it is. You're just not going to get much from there. Um, Ogi uh, you know, he he does some really nice things. He's a guy that's going to keep developing. I think he could be really something special if he sticks around for a couple more years for them because you can see flashes of how good he really is. You know, and Flo Thamba is what he is. Um, You know, the the one thing about this team, and here's the other thing, Matt, is as good as an offensive rebounding team as they've been, and that's the reason why that they, you know, were on this six game winning streak is they haven't shot it very well here the last three games. And sometimes that's going to catch up to you and just burn you because they didn't shoot it well against Kansas, but they were able, but they had such a lead. They were in control and they were at home and that sort of thing. And then they didn't shoot it very well against arkansas and had to survive that three at the horn to avoid overtime to win that but they didn't shoot it very well against texas and they just got they get into these droughts matt where they really are like missing everything for about four or five minutes or six minutes or whatever it is and that just that puts a lot of pressure on your team because then you've got to be perfect in other areas in order to win
0: yeah you're absolutely right about that um the droughts uh, and you got to get you have somebody and, and that's it's weird because Keontae's so great at going to get buckets. Mm-hmm. Flagler's
1: the same. I want the ball in his hand every time at the end of the game. By the way, and I, I think have that's no fine with him taking that three. Yeah,
0: no, I think that's fine. But when your shots aren't falling, like in the second half of these last two games, they haven't been. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to go in there and get to the line. They are capable of going in there and getting fouled and using their bodies, you know, all that kind of stuff. And even even mm-hmm. uh, Criers gotten better at that, getting in the lane. Very good at that. Yeah. And and yeah. so they just can't settle for some of those what I would call those bad two pointers. You know, like it's like they're they'll 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 get inside and they'll 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 take a 17 foot shot. Like it just doesn't it's just not much that's not a great that's not a high percentage get in there closer or take the three but those bad twos i don't like okay kevin we put on our coaches hats i think we've really educated a lot of people on basketball <laughs> yeah. on this uh snow day all right stay safe out there on the roads buddy and um always great to catch up with you and uh, we'll talk to you soon okay
1: Absolutely, Matt, my pleasure. By the way, every time Keontae has, the, Keontae has the ball in the last three minutes, I want him to take the shot because he just is he's so fearless. That's the great thing about him. And you and those, guy, those types of guys don't come around often.
0: I like it. I like it. I, I think you've you have uh, you've made a great point, and it's a great way to close the interview. There he goes, folks. Kevin Longquist, longtime journalist, good friend, and from Rivals.com, He gives us some uh, very good information. Okay.